From the PSIA ASI Satellite Studios in Hood River, Oregon, I'm George Thomas, and we are talking boots on the snow with team member Brenna Kelleher. Brenna, I am so looking forward to talking with you. I know. It's been a while, George. I'm excited to be back in podcast land. Podcast land was uh, last in uh, Keystone, I believe. Oh, yeah. And then you I went off to Austria, and yeah, well... Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So today, I, this series, Boots on the Snow, we're really talking about things that happen in a class that can really, you know, throw some real problems at an instructor. And we want to see everyone who's there get a great guest experience. But how do we actually handle them? And you and I are going to start off talking about splits kind of in general and then maybe get more specific in this podcast or upcoming ones. But how do you describe a split, Brenna? Well, a split can happen in a couple of different ways. First of all, you know, it's a split always happens when one skier wants to do one thing and another skier wants to do another thing. They might want to do the same thing, but they can't do it at the same speed or they don't have the same physical ability or they don't have the same technique. So there's a lot of factors that go into group splits, but I would say the number one factor would be split it when you split groups would be speed over technique. And why is that? Because people are happy when they're moving, um, and you could have a terrible skier that has more guts that can keep up with a better skier that has better technique, but they need, and they can get coaching on that level, but if you stick them with a slow skier, they're just going to lose their minds, and they're probably not going to have a great experience because their brain processes more with the that adrenaline whereas if they get stuck with a slow skier and they don't feel like they're getting time and on the snow and multiple runs in then they get a little stressed out and you generally end up hearing a complaint from them at that point and you know my mind's just going to kids programs and you know you work so hard on trying to fit people together that are of the same skill level but you know you I, what you've described, oh my gosh, you see that all the time. You've got that one kid who's just so into going fast and always wants to go, 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 and maybe isn't even as concerned about turning. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, kids are funny because you can kind of trick them with games and tree trails and all these fun things that are technique-driven that they are generally pretty engaged in. And so kids, you know, unless there's a really, really big age difference, I feel like most of the time are easier to put into groups than adults. Like, I think when adult splits happen, that you hear it right away, and then it affects the whole energy of the group. So you've got your class, and you've got that person who really feels like they should be in a different one, and you just don't have the opportunity to make the change. How do you handle that successfully and give that person a great experience and a great lesson and have the rest of the group really feel like they're getting a lot of attention and also getting a great lesson? Yeah, you know, that's tricky, um, and it definitely depends on the level that you're at. 
I feel like if it's um, beginner level, it's pretty easy to be on some beginner terrain and create some lap coaching incentives. Um, I don't know if you know it. I'll define lap coaching as you are at the bottom and the student, once you set up some parameters and they're doing things and you have people learning at different speeds, then you can be the person that's at the bottom watching or in the middle or at the top, making sure each of those individuals gets coaching on each of their runs. So you're really having them kind of lap the chair while you wait in place and you talk to them on the hill. Yep. So it's more of like, that's definitely com comes from a ski racing background, but like if you're on the magic carpet or on the chairlift or in the beginner terrain where you've already been through the basics and you've taught them all the safety measures and how to get on and off the lift successfully and they know how to stop, then, you know, the next part is you need to get repetition in these people. And if some people learn at a faster level than others, then you need to create that space and that time for them to be able to make those changes. And we all know that you make changes with repetition. So how does the person who needs more time from you get the attention that they need and feel like they're also be attended to when the other person is just moving so much faster? Well, if you're lap coaching, they don't generally know what's going on with the other person. <laughs> They're focusing on what they need to do, and it's a really great way to be like, especially if the energy levels of the group are different, and some people need more attention than others, and others are like, great, you got that? Okay, yeah, I want you to try bigger turns this time. And the other person is so scared they're barely moving, I can say, all right, let's try a little bit more speed. But it's more about setting each individual up for what they need at that time. But with lab coaching, they don't really know. They're not focused on what the other person's doing. You're not going in a line, and you're not going one by one, and they're not watching each other. And is that something you can do pretty much with any age? Or does that work better um, with some ages than it does with others? You know, George, I primarily work with adults. So you can do that with adults very easily. With children, I think you can do it to a certain age i mean like i see a lot of time like where we're at at our ski hill you could definitely do that with like the yellow dinos and the red dinos and you got to do it until, or i mean not the yellow and red they're there's the not stopping ones yet you'd have to be up to the stopping level right right um but it's basically like if you're in if you are in visual line of sight you should be able to do it with kids that you can set parameters with it's when you have no visual line of sight is when you probably shouldn't do that now i've got uh i think we're really looking at group lessons but you can also get some group privates a family private and you've got a a fairly big split and dad is uh really wanting to talk a lot and kind of coach kid or spouse uh how do you handle that well, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to go back to my lab coaching. Ah. <laughs> again, they can't be there to like pick on the other person, right? They have to focus on what they're doing and not what the other person's doing. So, um, and like I said, you have to set this up for success. 
Um, I wouldn't just send people out there and be like, all right, I'm going to stand at the bottom and tell you what to do. You have to, you have to set some parameters and really that happens after you've set up the goals for the lesson. Right. And after you've recognized that you do have a split, once you recognize you have a split, you're like, okay, <coughs> we need to work on this. <clears throat> so, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I just came from an event where there was a huge age and pacing split. Um, and, you know, you could tell that the group was very hungry for a lot of skiing, but they were also hungry for a lot of coaching, right? They were all adults, so I paired them up and gave them very specific tasks to do. We worked through those tasks, right? And then... Their goal was to lap, and I called them accountability buddies. Their job was to lap with their accountability buddy and just check in and make sure that you were still doing the drill, you were still doing it the way we had talked about it, and on a scale, how well were they doing it, right? So they could check in with each other, so there was always coaching happening between the group, and... I was there to provide feedback after watching them provide feedback to each other. So it was, it's a pretty cool learning experience where you're going through some guided discovery, but you're also with a partner and having to have a conversation about what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, and what, what's actually happening from what your partner sees. I love it. Now, you've got a group let's say adults, but really could be any age. And you've got a group that actually is very solid together, um, can ski the groomers really well, but uh, they want to try something a little more difficult. And you take that group over to steeper terrain, and all of a sudden you have a split developed that you haven't seen before, and you're in terrain that can be kind of tricky for class management as a whole. How do you handle that? So that's when you set up locations, stopping locations for your group. And you just say, okay, I'm going to work with this person in this area for a minute. And I want you guys to ski down to that location, hang out and wait. Um, I would say if you end up with someone who you had skied the groomers with and they are suddenly in a wedge in more challenging terrain, then you have misread your student. That would be my first observation. Um, my, so you really shouldn't be like in terrain where someone's waiting over 10 minutes for their buddy. And that, that, that's the judge of your, your own character and teaching, right? Like, can you say, well, you know, if you see that that student isn't as fast on a groomer or maybe they are as fast, but their technique is not as good. And you know that if you take them out of bounds or not out of bounds, but off beast in more challenging terrain or just simply steeper terrain. And you see that there's some technique that's missing that could be challenging for them. Then it's your job as the instructor to say, set the group up for success and set the tone for what the group is capable of. And that's almost the harder thing to do is when you get groups like that. 
So you really need to be watching what's going on at all times before you make that jump to steeper terrain. I mean, everybody can be having fun and talking about doing harder things, but you really need to be aware of what that group is like. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that's, I teach almost every single day at Big Sky, and that's what I do 100% of the time is people generally come to Big Sky and they want to go to the harder terrain. That's just, you know, their goal. And they generally come from a background that hasn't spent a lot of time in harder terrain, especially the kind of terrain that we have. (laughs) And so setting expectations, group expectations, is really important from the beginning. And I really wanted to ask... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just said I really wanted to ask you about this because I think Big Sky is a place where that can so easily happen because, oh, yeah, I ski blacks. And then you go up on some of these, you know, there is some really steep terrain out there. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you have to pay attention. Like, I can generally tell in one run if I have a group of five where we're going to be for the for the whole day and what we're going to be working on. Like, I can ski with them and I can know. If it's a little bit more than five people, then sometimes I'm like, let's take a second lap so I can... We don't really have more than five people, though, um, in our higher-level lessons. So, you know, getting to that black terrain would be hard, harder for a larger group because we just don't, we don't really offer that. And this is where, again, I really want to talk about this topic because instead of just asking the, you know, supervisor, what are, hey, I've got this person, they're really not fitting right now, um, if, if there is they actually might be able to fit in your group uh, instead of splitting them out to another class? Or, you know, at what point should the decision be made that, you know, this person really would be better off with a a lower-level class or a higher-level class? I think the decision should always be made prior to it becoming a poor experience for any candidates in the group. Um, and I think it's really, that's when it gets a little bit more challenging for the instructor to read, but you can generally tell by the tone of their voice, by their mannerisms, sometimes about how much they're talking and how much they're receiving by their body language in the group. So, um, I think that you split when you feel like there's going to be an issue and you want to do it before there is an issue that way you can generally salvage that if it's a first timer their experience if it's a high level lesson you're still salvaging their experience before they have a poor one and i mean you're really at a place where you can crush someone's ego and we just don't want to do that no no and it gets hard because a lot of people will come in and want to ski some of this terrain that is very challenging and managing their ego ends up being one of the hardest things you have to do. And that's where you have to use terrain as one of your tactics. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. I have this cough that's never ending, Um, but you want to use terrain to help them understand that they're not ready too. So if they say, hey, my goal here is to ski a double black diamond at Big Sky Resort. Well, 
I'm going to go take him on some terrain and say, here are the goals. If you can meet these goals, we'll go change terrain and get you on that double black, you know? And it's also completely dependent on the day, right? Like what are the conditions of these double black runs? Can the skier ski those conditions? What are the repercussions um, if the skier cannot ski those conditions and they fall? So it's about managing that safety aspect too, right? Um, and if you can set your group up and your student up for success by managing their expectations and doing that by changing terrain, that that's kind of like they get a self-assessment. On a very rare occasion, do they go, yep, I'm still going to go in there. Well, this is a uh, series where I'd really like to have people actually write us and say, you know, I had this specific instance come up in a class I was teaching, and I think it would be so great if we could uh, look that over and have some uh, help from team members on how that uh, the best of the best would handle something like that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, if you could get a uh, general public calling in for some advice on stuff like that, it could be like the advice podcast show. <laughs> Well, uh, um, anything you'd I, like yeah. to say in conclusion here? Uh, no, I just think that as any instructor, all instructors out there have these tools in their in their tool belt. You know, they if they're going to clinics and they're doing further education and they're out on snow teaching, they're constantly learning new ways. The the trouble that usually comes when instructors fall into routine and habit because when someone is the learner it never happens in a linear fashion the same way from one person to the next so i would just say as an instructor keep changing keep your mind fresh keep trying new things within reason and stay positive Brenna kelleher thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us i look forward to our next one all right Thanks, George. From the PSIA ASI Satellite Studios in Hood River, Oregon, I'm George Thomas.